Go, Helen. Please sing to us. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. <laughs> Sketchy. <laughs> Hi, welcome to Scattered. We're a group of friends from the same church who are serving God in different countries, and we're meeting online to chat through books of the Bible, chapter by chapter. We'd love you to join us. Hi everybody, welcome to Scattered. This is the second in our Luke series. We are in Luke chapter 5 this morning, verses 17 to 32. And the first question I wanted to ask is, there's a big crowd, Jesus is in the middle of a big crowd, and there's um, the first thing we're told really is that the Pharisees are there. Um, could somebody give me some background or explain to me who the Pharisees are and what we know about them? The Pharisees... Uh, were a very, well, a relatively small but very influential group of Jews uh, who were really heavy on observance of God's, what they defined as God's law, but which was often the Old Testament laws plus their sort of accumulated extra biblical um, traditions. They really emphasised outward conformity and they took a lot of pride in this, but inwardly they were still um they still had desperately impure hearts uh, they mainly lived in jerusalem but they did live around other places but um predominantly jerusalem and they basically tried to shape the religious life of the jews through enforcing their traditions and old testament laws yeah so the teachers of the, of the law they're often referred to elsewhere as the scribes and they were experts on the legal documents of the law of um, the Old Testament. And they provided interpretations for Israelites then. Great. So would, are we happy to say that these two groups would be sort of the religious elite? They're seen as the experts and they hold a lot of power and control for Jewish people. Are we happy with that? There probably would have been some of them that were genuinely like seeking and stuff like that I wonder sometimes we give them a bit of a hard time don't we wasn't was Nicodemus a teacher of the law or something a Pharisee so yeah I feel like they were all of those things but they weren't kind of yeah irredeemably so I feel like I often feel like I just want to hate on them but actually some of them were okay <laughs> um there's a guy here who can't walk and he's got four pretty good friends that are prepared to go to pretty extreme lengths to get him um, into the room with Jesus. What do you think these extreme lengths, like the taking down of somebody else's roof, um, show us about the man's situation and the friends and the man's expectations of Jesus? So between where we are now, which is chapter five, and what we were doing last week, Jesus has been basically healing lots of people, driving out spirits, like his reputation is growing. That's why the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there as well. Um, but that if they were there and they'd heard about it, tons of other people have heard about it. So I reckon this man's friends have heard that there's a healer and they are good friends to this guy. They love him. And, and in those times, I think um, if someone had any illness, people would have related that to sin that they had or like, and we can see that in John nine, when people ask why that blind man uh, was blind, who sinned, 
him or his parents. And so actually to be related to someone with an illness is such a big deal in those times. So the friend of this paralyzed man would have, you know, what kind of people are they that choose to be um, the friend of someone who's been, who's extremely sick, who's can't move himself, who needs cleaning, who needs um, a lot of help. Yeah. And what, what do we see about their expectations of Jesus then? Well, they, they absolutely trust that he could and he would heal their friend. I mean, I don't imagine, I mean, this roof was probably at least six foot off the ground and they've lowered a fully grown man who can't um, move himself down to the ground. And then presumably with the intention of never having to pull him back up again. You know, the, the absolute trust that Jesus could and would. And, and for the guy who's on the mat, the paralyzed man, you know, you almost feel like this is his last roll of the dice because his friends are so desperate that they carry him up an outside flight of stairs onto a roof, spend time dismantling the roof, lower him down. You almost feel like it was the last roll of the dice, the last chance for him. I, I can't imagine how he must be feeling. If, if, he, if Jesus can't do it, then no one can. Well, and I was really reflecting that there's, a sh there's, like Juliet was saying, there's a shame, isn't there, associated with illness like this in this day. And he would be used to being hidden away. And suddenly he's in the middle of a packed room, like, and just, yeah, li literally descends into the middle. So all, just how embarrassed he'd be as well, because all the attention's on him, everyone's looking at him. Yeah, his emotions would have been really, it would have been hard. And actually, as you're saying that, I've just been reflecting, like, we don't know what kind of paralysis this gentleman had, but usually when you're paralyzed, you cannot control your bowel and bladder function. You know, he probably wouldn't have been the cleanest, most presentable. He, he probably, you're right, he probably would have been incredibly, like, he would feel shameful. So to present himself in front of this crowd is such a risk. I hadn't noticed that before. It's very vulnerable, isn't it, seeking healing? Like, you really are putting yourself out there. Um, I was thinking, though, like, he knows, I guess the rumours probably would have gone around that Jesus has already touched a man with leprosy. So, you know, this isn't just some guy who's going around healing. This is a guy who deals with and helps people who are rejected by everybody else. I can imagine that message of hope going out and this these friends and this guy's family hearing that and being like, oh my good, oh my goodness, this might be the first person to ever not reject me um, when I go to them and make myself vulnerable before them. And it's interesting, isn't it? It does say in the passage, the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal those who were ill. There's a specific sense in which there's like almost an electricity in the air, like there's an expectation around Jesus that that's part of what he's here to do, isn't it? Like heal. And so... Yeah, but that doesn't undermine all those vulnerabilities that that guy feels, I guess. And he would be the kind of person that would also be rejected from going to the temple or the synagogue because he would be classed as unclean. So the words Jesus chooses to speak first are quite controversial. What, um, what do we think about that? Having what, just said what we've said about how the paralysed man's probably feeling, why does Jesus choose to talk about his sin? 
So he's here he mentions sin first because he's trying to make a point that he has power to forgive sin. Um, and that's reinforced by the fact that as a response, firstly, to his claim that your sins are forgiven, um, and so that he can respond to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, but then also afterwards just to show his, demonstrate his power, not only to um, heal, but to forgive what is unseen. Yeah, this guy isn't just physically paralyzed, is he? Like Jesus sees straight into his like soul paralysis and he sees his need of being able to dance in his soul and not just his body it would have been shocking for everybody there and for this guy like imagine like this is his moment uh this is the moment that i'm gonna be healed and jesus straight away sees what's really wrong i think <clears throat> we do that in our lives don't we we're like this is my problem and god's like no there's something underneath that um but it must have been really hard for him because it's kind of I don't know, but if I was there and I believed that this guy's sin had caused his paralysis um, and then Jesus straight away says your sins are forgiven, then is Jesus not backing that up and saying, OK, it's because you're sinful that you're para paralyzed? What do you guys think? I was just going to say I, I, I've had to work hard on this because it feels mean. Like when I initially read this, it feels mean that Jesus says this. Mm. Of course, Jesus doesn't say mean things, does he? So... I guess I had to work really hard to think this is the most loving thing Jesus could say, isn't it? Even though for us that feels harsh or a bit cruel. And I guess it just really showed up that our main, even if we're paralysed, our main problem is, is our heart problem, isn't it? And our sin. And it's the most loving thing for Jesus to do to deal with that first we just yeah I just don't see I, I'm blind I don't see things the way Jesus sees them and I'm blind at some level to that and it's been a real challenge to me to think that's the same for us isn't it and the same in our circumstances that our hearts being right before God is more important than our circumstances yeah this this little section made me think of um what good is it to gain the whole world but lose your soul uh you know, because for this paralyzed man, his whole world is centered around his his disability, his paralysis. And if only his paralysis can be fixed, then his world will be fixed. Um, but actually, Jesus sees that the far greater problem is that he is in danger of losing his soul, even if he gets his physical ability back. So he wants to deal with that that sin issue prior to dealing with that physical issue. And, and also, I want to make it clear that what we're not saying is that um, all physical sickness and um, unhealed things are caused by sin. I think we need to make it clear that that's not what we're saying. There are specific circumstances in the Bible in which that is made clear. It is the problem, but that is not the flow of things you mean by personal yes sin? i mean personal sin sorry personal sin yeah yeah so we would say wouldn't we big picture when sin entered the world there's a brokenness then that we all have to live with and there's no promise that we're protected from that as god's children so on that in that sense sin is the root of all sickness but not in a personal way 
Are we, are we all happy yes. with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Can I just say, I really love seeing in this passage, so Jesus is teaching um, and there's this huge disruption of this, you know, you can imagine the roof starting to fall away and then these people appearing and everyone in the house probably feeling a little annoyed. But in all of that, Jesus, his one, it's almost like all he can see is this soul that is in need of him. Like he doesn't make a thing about what they've done. He doesn't, you know, just heal him because that's what they've come for. Jesus immediately sees this guy's need of forgiveness and his compassion for him just pushes everything else away. I feel like for me in the kerfuffle of life and you know, for example, in the middle of an argument that my kids are having and I rush in and I just want to sort out the immediate presenting problem or, you know, other things like people in need in my life. Like there's always such a busyness and kerfuffle to everything. And I think sometimes we lose the main thing, which is people's souls, like our kids' souls, like in the middle of an argument. Is it important that the argument is solved and everything's quiet again? Or is it important that we deal with what's going on underneath and take time and pray with them and stuff like that. And I definitely need a bit more of that in my life. <laughs> Even more amazing, because I 100% agree with that. But because he's God, he's also concerned, isn't he, in the same moment with the Pharisees that are looking on. And so actually mm. in, in what he says to this man, which is the most loving thing for his soul, he's also aware immediately of the response of those watching. Let's just move a little bit to that. What is the response of the Pharisees and why? So they only think, they think that who is this guy who's saying he's God, basically. No one can forgive sin but God alone. And they've just had that thought. They haven't even said it out loud. Yet Jesus knows their hearts. And I think that's incredible because he speaks to them telling them directly this is what you what is going on in your heart um and then presents them this question which is easier to to forgive sins or to heal and what's the right answer to jesus's question well it's difficult isn't it to show outwardly to like visually verify a forgiveness of sin isn't it like immediately obviously the guy's life will change in many ways I think and he will probably feel it within himself but to everybody watching he is exactly the same guy sprawled on the floor waiting um or previously waiting for his um healing so the answer is I guess it's easier to say oh your sins are forgiven because you can't visually verify that like I could say to you, Jill, your sins are forg- I forgive your sins, but nothing's going to change. But if I said your hair turn, your hair's going to turn pink now, and it did, then that's much more. And it's not, by the way, everybody. Um, <laughs> not, not even Zoom can know. do that. Yeah. So it's much. Uh, it, I mean, obviously, that the actual harder thing to do is to forgive sins because only God can do that. So if you're not God. You just can't do that. But for everybody watching there, it's easier for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, than for him to actually physically show them his power and raise this man uh, up from the ground and make him walk. So are we saying there's a difference between what's easier to see or, and what, or what's easier to... It, like, it's a bit of an internal-external thing, isn't it? One's easier mm. to see fit with your eyes 
yeah, and prove, and the other one's harder. <laughs> but it's the forgiveness of sins that's so offensive to the Pharisees, isn't it? Like, why is that so offensive to them? Because only God can do that. Only a divine being or his appointed person do that. And so they are really aware by that by saying, man, your sins are forgiven, that he is it's an ongoing declaration of who he is. It's a follow on from his time in the in the synagogue where he stood up that we looked at last week, where he stood up and read that that bit from Isaiah. Um, yeah, it's it's an ongoing for them, it's an ongoing blasphemy. You know, he's breaking all the rules um, and they are criticizing him accordingly. And he's taking some of their power away as well because they would have been um, assisting the priests in working out who can be, you know, can be said as clean or unclean. And so they had a lot of power and Jesus is just showing actually the power belongs to God and God alone. And I guess he's claiming that that's him, isn't it? Which is so offensive to them. It picks up a little bit, doesn't it? That theme in Luke of the people that you expect to be in, the very, you know, the religious elite are out and the people that you expect to be out, the paralyzed man who's always to this point been unclean is um, in. And I think that's a theme that we see all the way through Luke, isn't it? That Jesus reverses what people expect about um, religion, basically. Yeah, and here as well, for the Pharisees, Jesus is presenting himself as the method of, as the way who, the one who can forgive, you know, the method of, um, that word atonement. Um, he, he's saying that it's available, forgiveness and atonement and um, righteousness before God is available outside of the stand of what they have declared to be the standard protocols. Is outside of the normal personnel, um, and it's even available outside of the sacred space of the synagogue and the temple. All these things are comp- are complete turnarounds from everything that the Pharisees believed and knew to be true, um, and they weren't willing to engage with the thought that actually. God's appointed one might have come to change all of everything they know. When Jesus says, friend, your sins are forgiven, like I was just reflecting on how can he actually say that? Like the reason Jesus can say your sins are forgiven is because he knows he's going to go to the cross for this guy. I kind of, you know, the, the context of this for him is totally different to everybody else, isn't it? Like there's the Pharisees getting mad because they think, what is this man saying? There's the context for the man, which is, why are you saying that to me? Um, what about my paralysis? And then for Jesus, he's personally taking this on himself. He knows that in however many months um, he is going to go to the cross for this guy, and that's why he can say this. Yeah. And I guess like we were saying last week, like you were saying last week, guys, that whole <laughs> the Pharisees have their preconceptions, don't they, of what mm. is right and they, they don't allow what Jesus says and does to change their view of what is correct. And so it's not like he just says, your sins are forgiven. He then heals him too as the evidence that he has power to do both those things. And yet they're not 
they're not prepared to let the new evidence that's coming before them reinterpret their view of reality, are they? And I guess that's the mm-hmm. challenge for us. Are we prepared to let who Jesus is and what he says change our views of reality which i know you talked about last week does somebody want to summarize the next little section for us um where jesus looks meets levi in the next bit jesus uh calls levi whose other name is matthew does he name him matthew i don't know um who's sitting at his tax booth uh and jesus and levi follows him and then he throws a big banquet for all of his friends uh, of whom were mostly tax collectors uh, and others. I mean, lots of people wouldn't have wanted to be friends with him. Um, and then the Pharisees are there as well um, and criticise Jesus again for hanging out with people like that, uh, tax collectors and sinners. Um, and Jesus uh, directly says to them, or slightly indirectly, indirectly, that he's come to call the righteous, um, sorry, he's not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Great. So we see here a massive change in Levi. What motivated that change? Well, Jesus's powerful invitation, <laughs> follow me. And his, he got up and left everything and followed him. And so that's mm. that leaving everything and um following him shows complete commitment and um powerful words of jesus i think there's something in you when you meet jesus i think jesus must have just softened his heart to know who he was in that moment i can't explain it any other way i think sometimes people just know that it's the right thing to do when you when you see jesus your heart kind of just recognizes um that he is someone that you should follow yeah, I loved what Juliet said about the in Jesus's powerful call. Like when Jesus calls your name, there's no there's nowhere else you want to be, is there? When Jesus calls your name, then that's the place to be. I have a song. <laughs> Go, Helen. Please sing to us. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. When Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. <laughs> Sketchy. <laughs> Honestly, can I just tell you though, so many conversations I have with so many people where I am singing these songs in my head and I I I just We're not Jesus. Just We're them. not Jesus, so it's helpful for you to tell us what's in your head. No, we don't know yeah, that. No, just just keep them in there, Helen. Like it's a nice <laughs> little place for them to stay. Um, anyway, we digress. Anyway, yeah, so Jesus <laughs> called his name and he followed. So then, again, the Pharisees have got something to say. What's their problem here in this section? Levi himself is unclean. He would have been excommunicated from the synagogue for his, <clears throat> excuse me, for his work with the Romans and as being a being a tax collector. And if he's with, if they're with all the other tax collectors and others, um. It's basically a big gathering of everyone that the Pharisees condemn. Um, and, you know, the, the description of the, it's a great feast. It's basically a party and they're reclining at the table. And so culturally, this means it's a huge party, big cost. It's quite formal because um, the way that you used formal dining there was you sort of leaned with your head near the table and your feet towards the wall. Um, and that's how you sat and ate with each other. Um, and so, you know, they, these 
Levi's network are basically being welcomed into Jesus's interpersonal network. And, mm. and they cannot stand it. They are like, why, if you are supposed to be this, you say that you're, uh, you appear to be a, a teacher of the law. You say all these things about yourself and yet you're associating with the unclean. What are you doing? Like sick people shouldn't, um, or people with disabilities were classed as unclean. Anyone associated oh. with them or having oh. any contact with them would have also been seen as unclean. And I think Mary mentioned just before this, he touches that leper mm. and and he doesn't become unclean. Jesus doesn't become unclean, but he cleanses the leper. And I think that's the the difference. Like here, people who were with others, like these tax collectors, would have been classed as unclean. Yet Christ is in their midst, or Jesus is in their midst, and he's creating what was unclean as clean by his presence. Mm. Yeah, like rather than being defiled by them, he's he's going to bring them to repentance and forgiveness. It's that mirroring of that of that story with the leper, isn't it? I think one of the big challenges for me in this section is he, Jesus just does not care, does he, about the Pharisees' assessment on his friendship group. And he's just so free from being influenced by people's opinions around him. Like that's, yeah, that's a huge challenge to my heart, that freedom to follow his father's call and his father's will and not be influenced by those around him. Like, how, how do we grow in that, ladies? How do we um, how do we become more like Jesus in this? I think, like you said earlier, Jill, I, I think he did care also for the Pharisees and um, scribes because he doesn't just uh, dismiss their hearts, their thoughts or their words. He responds and prompts them to think, you know, what evidence are you basing your um decisions your life on and um, which yeah are you basing your life on the rules and everything that you've held all your preconceptions everything before or are you going to give jesus a hearing are you going to allow him to speak to you and um yeah what are you going to say about his words it's challenging though isn't it because i as the Gospels go on, he loses the Pharisees, doesn't he, more and more because they're not, yeah, they, they can't hear and they don't see. Yeah, it's just challenging, isn't it? Are we, I, I guess my danger often is I'm working so hard to try and keep an audience with everybody that am I, we've got limited time and limited resources, haven't we? And it, it's, yeah, it's just hard to know. And I think part of it as well is checking your motivation. Like, what's my heart motivation in trying to do all of that? What's my heart motivation in moving towards this person? My associate and my association with them might cause me trouble, the society that I'm in. What's your motivation for trying to be available for everybody? It's the heart motivation, isn't it? That's, that's the crux of it, I think. Why does Jesus have such a profound influence on 
everybody he meets because he has a profound influence on the Pharisees, doesn't he? In a different way. He has a profound influence on the paralytic man. He has a profound influence on Levi and his friends. Why is that? I think because you can't come face to face with Jesus and not be changed. I think, um, and that's really what he said he came to do. Like he, he doesn't come to divide in a sense that he, he wants to, you know, make us all hate each other, but he does divide people. And I think if you really meet him face to face and really try and encounter him, then you will not be unchanged. I don't think you can walk away from truly reading this gospel or one of the other ones, um, really engaging with it and trying to work out what it means. I don't think you can do that and walk away unchanged either there's a hardening of heart or there's a softening of heart uh, when we come to Jesus. And yeah, so these people, the the Pharisees, I would say their hearts were hardened and Levi, his heart was softened. Um, And that's just who Jesus is. And it's, it's wonderful really. Like, um, because a lot of his hardening or softening is, is by his spirit. Um, And so just, like we were talking about last week, I really hope that people can come to read this gospel of Luke again and let him work in our hearts. For me, often it's just even preparing for this this week. I was like, I know the story of the paralyzed man. I know the story of Levi. Like, it's fine. I don't need to do that much preparation. But there's always more to see. There's always more to learn. Um, We need to be careful as Christians as well that we don't let ourselves become hardened by our like we were talking about last week, our familiarity with him. And I I guess the challenge for me is the theme from last week and this week is the people that are prepared to own that they're blind or in prison or sinful are the ones that are meeting with Jesus and being changed. And that's, that's hard for us, isn't it? To take that position of my sin is still um, my biggest problem and I need a savior and that it's it would be easy for us to slip into the Pharisees role wouldn't it of I know all this I know the right answers rather than having that soft heart that's prepared to have it your sin challenged just want to say by the way last week I said I think I called it uncovered Dave was like "Mm -mm, it's uncover Um, uncover and also it's for it's for seekers as well. I think last week I said it was for new Christians and I didn't mean that. I meant people that are exploring Christianity and those who just want to take another look at the gospel. So ours is Uncover Luke, but I think there's also Uncover Mark as well and and John. John, John. yeah. Um but yeah, in the Uncover notes, just like if I got my deepest wish, then everything would be okay. Um, and how Jesus, so Jesus comes to deliver us from our moral and spiritual paralysis. And I just thought it was worth noting that the, the when the paralyzed man comes to Jesus, like his deepest wish probably at that time and his friend's deepest wish is that he would not be paralyzed anymore. Um, and for Levi, probably his deepest wish in life pre-Jesus was to be rich and to be comfortable Um, And I think these stories that we've looked at today definitely help us to see Jesus's priorities in our lives versus ours. And that's one of the reasons we we can't come to Jesus and be unchanged, because before we come to Jesus, we will always have priorities 
in our lives that he sees straight away and we don't always see, um, like comfort or um, money um, or food or anything really. And he really sees approval yeah whereas he sees a soul in need of him and it's actually recognizing those things and being prepared to put them down and letting him change us like I don't know what those things were or are for you guys but for me it's definitely things like safety and comfort mine would definitely be like approval and popularity the other two don't have any Mary they're so (laughs) they're so those Hermione's they don't struggle with things for me I was like I don't even know where to start (laughs) I think the thing to say is that it's not even like a one-time thing. It's not like you meet Mm. Jesus for the first time and he's like, okay, this is your problem. Yeah, because I would have said at the time that I became a Christian, my idol was sporting success. Now I would say probably safety, like Mary, safety and to some extent comfort, I would say. Um, And my ability to do all things well. Mm. And I think that that has really, over the, I don't know how many years it is now that I've been a Christian, um, it it changes. And that's the thing I think we need to realise as well is that it's never a done deal, like you're never finished. There is always more for Jesus to to mine out of you, Um, Mm. which sounds exhausting but it is also and it can be but it's also really exciting when you can see him working in you and changing you and changing Mm. your friends and your family it's exciting to watch sometimes things get taken away so that these things are revealed and our hearts where our hearts are clinging to is revealed and some people listening might feel like the paralyzed man that the sins have been forgiven but the struggle is still there. It's still real. And yeah, that's hard. And, mm. But God loves us and forgives us. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's really believing and feeling and knowing that that forgiveness of sins and that inner soul peace that we have with God is better than anything else and is everlasting. And mm is you know we could have everything in the world and without that peace with god we would have nothing like it's really believing that isn't it when we lose things in our lives and when we suffer and when we struggle and god isn't changing our circumstances we we still know we have the greatest treasure still and it's really knowing that i think that i don't know that was i was reminded of that in this parable yeah, and, and actually, I think the best summary of that explained by Alex and Rhea at the memorial service for, for Miriam the other day, they explained mm. that that concept of future hope, even though there hasn't been the desired earthly healing, so beautifully, so, in such a helpful way. I would really urge people, if you haven't, um, if you haven't watched it on the St. Clement's YouTube website that you should do so because it's it's really helpful with that yeah i guess the the challenge for all of us isn't it is let's keep encountering jesus because that's when he keeps changing our priorities and he keeps helping us hold on to hope so um great to chat and we will hopefully see you next week bye everyone bye, bye.